Well, we've been in Colossians for many weeks or months, and we're not going to probably finish. We're not going to finish it today. So we're going to be near the end of it, though. So go to Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to pick up. We'll pick up with the second, with the first verse, so we'll get some continuity, but we're going to focus in really just on verse 7 today. And as you're turning to Colossians, remember Paul is in prison a long way from Colossia. He's never been to probably to the community there, but nearby Ephesus, he did preaching there and won many converts and a church was established. And so another church was established in Colossia. And so Paul is writing these letters from prison in Rome. It's his first imprisonment. His second imprisonment will result in his death. But he is in prison in Rome writing these letters. And getting these letters, we'll talk about it in just a little bit, from, from Rome back to Asia is not an easy thing. Um, but he is confident that they will arrive. And so under the leadership and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes this letter to the Colossian church. And we've had such a wonderful time looking at it. Uh, these past several weeks. And now the letter is coming to a conclusion. And we're going to begin with the first verse of chapter 4. But by the time we get to verse 7, it might be a time when people say, well, that's all there is. The rest of it's just sort of naming people we don't know and individuals personally that we don't know who they are. And we'll just kind of move right on and get on over to 1 Thessalonians, which starts in the the next book. But we're not going to do that. Every part of this text is inspired and meaningful to us, and we're going to enjoy all of it. So Colossians chapter 4, uh, verse 1, we talked in detail about this several weeks ago. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven, and then continued steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Let me just, even though I preached this before, let me just, something came to me uh, in the last few weeks as I've looked at this and even more recently. Here's the Apostle Paul asking the believers to pray for an open door. I mean, this is the man who wrote the book of Romans. I mean, if anybody should be able to like kick open a door and share the gospel, it would be Paul. But he understands that in order for someone to really hear the gospel, their heart has to be open to it. And so he's praying that you would pray with me, that, that I will have opportunity, that people's hearts will be open to the gospel. I think it's interesting. He's not trying to come up with a trick or a fad or some way to sort of uh, entrap people into making a commitment to Christ. He genuinely wants open doors to the gospel. And that's what we should want as well. In our daily walk, our daily conversation, pray that we'll have conversations with people who are truly open to hearing what Christ would say to them. I, I thought that was great, that, that opened a door for us to declare the mystery of Christ on the account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear. Again, here's the man who wrote the book of Romans. If he can't make it clear, who can make it clear? You know, I, 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 but what he's saying is that I would, I would be simple and direct and I wouldn't make it unclear. I love that, that he's asking for that kind of prayer. And then walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of our time. Let your speech also be gracious and then seasoned with salt. As we said, salt is the gospel. and So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. 
And again, when we talked about his prayer in prison, he's not, he's not praying that his life would become easier, that the guards would be friendlier, that the food would be better, <laughs> that he might have better accommodations. He's praying about the gospel. He's praying big things for the kingdom. And that's what, that's how you and I should pray as well. Now, should we not pray for ourselves and our needs? Well, let's take a look quickly at the Lord's Prayer. I mean, clearly in the Lord's Prayer, we do pray, give us our daily bread. We do pray to forgive us of our sins and forgive those who've sinned against us. We do pray to keep us from temptation. But the first thing we pray in the model prayer that the Lord gave us is, our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then what do we pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I think sometimes we make prayer all about ourselves and what we want. And there is a time for that in praying for your own personal needs and for your family. But understanding that the bigger picture here of the kingdom of God that is eternal. And here I love the fact that Paul is asking not for individual prayers on his behalf at this point, but that, that he would be able to speak the gospel clearly, that doors would be open for him to speak the gospel clearly. How should we pray for one another in church? How about praying for one another that we would be bold in our witness and have opportunity to share the gospel? I mean, it's important to pray for each other in our sicknesses and in our financial needs and our other things we go through. But if we want to look at Paul here, we should pray for one another to be bold in sharing the gospel and bold in our witness and pray for opportunities to come our way. A lot of things I could say there, but I've already preached that sermon, so we don't need to go back. Verse 7. Well, here's where some of us would check out and say, well, I don't don't know who this uh, uh, Tychius is or even how to pronounce it. The uh, C-H is like a K. I don't know who Tychius is, and so I I don't know him. And and then there is... uh, Onesimus, and I, I don't know him. And then there is Articus, and I don't know him. And verse 12, there's Ephorus, and I don't know him. And uh, in verse 14, there's Luke. I think I've heard of him, and I can pronounce him. But then I just kind of move on. Well, don't just move on. <laughs> this is a great, this is a wonderful way this letter wraps up. Here's what, I mean, if you'll allow me, here's what Paul's doing, all right, in the first century, probably 62, 63 A.D. Paul is gathering these, these men around him. We might use the term layman. I think layman and clergy are not in the New Testament, but from our perspective, these are not probably pastors at this point necessarily. They're, they're men that, that he has brought around him, and we'll talk about them in the next few weeks. But anyway, here he goes. Ready? So here's what Paul's doing in chapter 4, verse 7. He's saying, here's, here's Tychius. And, and here, here's uh, Onesimus, and, and here, here is Articus, and here is uh, Ephrephus, and here is Luke, and he gathers them all together, and he pulls out his iPhone, and they take a selfie together, right? Seriously, it's a family picture. It's a portrait. He's telling these Christians back in Asia Minor, here they all are. I want you to see them all. These, and the, you can imagine, just imagine they're all crammed in the frame and, and maybe they got a, maybe they got, you know, a selfie stick and they can hold it up higher and they take a picture and, and you just, you can imagine the smiles on their faces and they're all looking and there's Paul. Now we don't know what he looked like. Historians tell us he was not at all attractive. He was homely. Anybody that's been stoned to death and beaten five times with 39 lashes probably didn't look the best anyway to begin with. And so he probably had the marks of the gospel on him. He probably wasn't very attractive to look at. But there he is, and he's, he's smiling ear to ear, and all of these friends of his are crowded in that picture, and they're smiling. That's really what he's doing. 
He's given us this amazing family portrait, this amazing snapshot of these men who are around him that he loves dearly, that have been so good to him. And he's going to talk about each one of them and a little bit about their... And so let's just look this morning at this one individual, verse 7, Tychius. Now, this isn't the only time we hear about him in the Scripture. I think it's five times. But in five times, not one time does, does the Scripture record that he ever opened his mouth or ever said anything. Nothing's recorded. I'm sure he did, but nothing was recorded that he ever said. And not much is known about him. We don't know his family or his background or his, his employment, his trade. We don't know any of that about him. But five times he's mentioned. And let's, let's begin, if you want to go with me, the first time he's mentioned is in the book of Acts chapter 20. So if you want to go with me to the book of Acts in chapter 20, or if you just want to listen uh, while I'll read it to you. But in Acts chapter 20, we see him listed for the first time. And again, it's almost as though it was in passing, and you could almost sort of just uh, look over it, I suppose, if you were reading through. But in Acts chapter 20, down, as we look together, down in verse 5, verse 4, he's listing some people who are going with him. Here's what's, here's what's happened. Paul wants to go, and he's, he's, he's on these missionary journeys. He's going to raise some support from the churches up in Macedonia and take it down to the churches in Jerusalem. But he understands that in Jerusalem, there's some division among the Christians there. And the division is along the lines of Gentiles and Jewish Christians. And it's getting to be pretty distinct. And Paul sees himself as a missionary and evangelist to the Gentiles. And Paul has this passion for, for the church to be one, not to be divided, but to be one, to be to together in, under, under the lordship of Christ. And so he's going to raise some support from these churches in, in, in Asia Minor. He's going to take it down to the churches that need it in Jerusalem, but he's also going to spend some time in Jerusalem talking to the Jewish leaders, Jewish Christians, rather, the Jewish Christian church there, about the work among the Gentiles, all right? And, and one of the things he's going to do is he's going to bring some Gentile converts with him to Jerusalem. And so one of the Gentile converts that he's going to bring with him to Jerusalem is Tychius. And we see that in the last part of verse 4 of chapter 20. He talks about bringing with me the Asians, for that means from Asia Minor, from Greece and that area, Tychius and Tomithius. These went ahead and were waiting on us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. In five days we came into Troas where we stayed for seven days. And then what happens is this Tychius, this is a man who leaves his home. He's probably a recent convert. He leaves his home. He leaves his family. He leaves his job. And he makes this very difficult journey with Paul. And anytime you journey with Paul, it's a difficult journey. I mean, Paul does not lay low, right? He's not below anybody's radar. I mean, he comes into a town, he's going to preach. And they're going to stone him and leave him for dead and strip him naked and carry him outside of town and throw him on the pile of dead bodies. And he's going to come to and wake up and come back into town and keep preaching again. That's what Paul's going to do. And and Tychius knows this. He understands this is not a this is not a tour of the Holy Land that he's buying here. This is a, this is a missionary journey that could in, involve his death. Not only involve his death in terms of the way Paul preaches and, and the hostility that that can provide, but just simply traveling 
those distances in those in that time period was not a safe nor was it a certain thing to do. It was dangerous to travel that far. It was difficult to travel that far. I don't think we fully understand that. Tychius, most people in that day never left the area in which they were born. And Paul comes to this convert and says, look, we want to go all the way to Jerusalem. <laughs> and on the way, we're going to do a lot of ministry. But when we get there, I want you to be there because I want these Jewish Christians to see the fruit of Gentile labor. I want them to see a Gentile Christian. I want you to share what Jesus has done for you as a Gentile. I love that. So sure enough, if you look and you want to read later to this week, uh, chapter 20, uh, all that goes on with Paul, and, and that this whole, through all of this, Tychius is with him. Chapter 21, he gets to Jerusalem. Tychius is with him. So he's with him through that whole time. Well, it's not the only time we see him. That was the first encounter. But now we're four or five years later, and Paul's in prison, and Tychius is there still. Now, whether Tychius stayed with him that whole time or went home, we don't know. But we do know that for many of the people around Paul, these men around Paul, they stay with him for years and years and years. What great leadership that you can be so keenly connected to individuals and stay in such tight brotherhood for all of those years. What, a, what an affection they must have had for Paul. What a, what a sense of commitment to the passion and the ministry that Paul had. So that's the first time we see him. The second time we see him, or I want to bring out to you, is in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you look over quickly to Ephesians chapter 6, and this is really critically important. In Ephesians 6, verses 21, Paul says this, So that you may know how I am doing and what I am doing, Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. And then we see one more time in Titus chapter 3, verse 12. Two more times, actually. In Titus chapter 3, verse 12, Paul writes these words. I send Artemis and Tychemus to you. Do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best, but I've sent Artemis and Tychemus to you. And then we see in the book of Second Timothy, Paul's last letter he probably wrote, or the last one we have that he's written before he dies. In Second Timothy chapter 4, he's talking to Timothy. He says, um, verse 12, Tychius I have sent to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak I left with you at Troas and the books also. It's nice to know that Paul forgets his coat and his books sometimes. But nonetheless, so he's saying, what does all this mean? Okay, so every time you see Tychius, he's bringing something, he's going somewhere, he's serving someone. He's been with Paul for all these years. And we're talking from Asia Minor, clear over to Rome, clear over to Jerusalem. That's the whole known world this man has followed Paul around. And Paul says, he is my, my, my fellow brother. He's my servant. He helps Paul. He ministers to Paul. And look, if you were in Rome and you were taken care of and ministering to a prisoner, that was at some great risk of your own safety. You would not be in the highest class of people if, if it was obvious that there was a Roman prisoner that you were deeply connected to. 
not only would you not be in the highest class of people and perhaps the most respected in the community, but there was always that opportunity that if the winds of change came, you would be arrested because you identified with him. There's always that risk. You know, I'm getting ahead. I'm, this is a little off the subject, but when Jesus said, I was in prison and you, you didn't come and see me, and the disciples said, you know, when were you in prison? He said, well, you've done this to the least of these. You've done it to me. Really, the context of what Jesus is talking about there is he says, the least of these, my brothers. So really what he's talking about in that sense is that once folks would be arrested for following Christ, it was an easy thing to distance yourself from them. (laughs) Because if you went and visited them in prison, right, you would be identified as a follower of Christ. And they might just keep you as well. So Paul, Jesus, when he's talking about you didn't come visit me in prison, it's not like the way we think of today where it's, you know, you go to a prison and you share the gospel, which we should do, and we should care for those in prison. But there's, there's, there's a cost to be paid when Jesus is talking about it, all right? You're going to follow me. You're going to come visit in prison your, your brothers. Then you're going to be labeled as one of them. And, and that's sort of what it is here with Tychius. I mean, he's identified with a Roman prisoner who eventually is going to be martyred. But after all of these years, Tychius is still with Paul. And Paul calls him, I love this, he calls him my, my fellow servant. In other words, he's there to serve Paul. Now, what's that look like? I don't know. I'm sure it means whatever Paul, he could give Paul, whatever food and clothing or, or, or coat or, or blankets he could provide, whatever he could do to minister to Paul's physical needs, he would try to do. And that's critically important. But I love the way that Paul says, but he's, he's not my bond servant. He's a servant just like me of Christ. And the Greek words he uses there are totally different. The servant that he talks about, he's my servant, is, is like he's dichotomous, like where we get the word deacon. But then when he says he's like me, a bondservant of Christ, it's like a slave. So Paul makes it clear that this Tychemus is a great man who does serve me as a servant would serve me. He meets my, my needs. He, he comforts me. He helps me with this ministry. But just like me, we are both slaves to Jesus Christ. We are equal in that. I love that. He's not, he's not Paul's servant. He's a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul makes that very clear about him. So here we have this man that, again, we might just skim over. As you look at the book of Colossians and say, I don't know who Tychemus is and whatever, and we move on. But he's been there five times, always with Paul, and began this whole experience when Paul wanted to pull him out of his church and say, I want you to go all the way to Jerusalem. I want you to tell the Jerusalem Jewish Christians what Jesus has done for you. I want them to see a convert. And then he stays with Paul, and he becomes a close friend of Paul, and he becomes a servant of Paul, and a bondservant together with Jesus Christ. And yet he never says a word in the Scripture. He never preaches a sermon in the Scripture, although I'm sure he preaches. And so sometimes I think it's important for us to realize that there's all kinds of people in the New Testament and the Old Testament that God uses richly, and many of them we know very little about, and that's okay. We have such a, such a, a culture of celebrity that we just want to focus on the really popular people. And we think, well, that doesn't apply to us. There are a lot of you in this room this morning who are tickamous, and they are needed, and they are much appreciated, and they make Paul's ministry absolutely possible. So in two things here in, in, in Timothy chapter four, second Timothy, and he, Paul says, you know what, Timothy, I want you to come. So I'm going to send Tychemus to be, take your place for a while. And then in Titus, we just read the same thing. 
Paul says, Titus, I want you to come be with me this winter, but, but in order your church not to lose a leader, I'm going to send, I'm going to send Tychemus. So Tychemus has now moved from being someone that Paul brought with him as a fruit of evangelism that he could show the church in Jerusalem. Here's a convert to someone who served Paul and probably helped bring him food and clothing and took care of him in prison, helped him write the letters. But now he's learned from Paul. He's been able to understand the teaching of Paul. And now he's got this ministry as an interim pastor. (laughs) I mean, and he's filling in the pulpit for some pretty big guys. I mean, for Timothy and for Titus. And Paul says, I'm going to send one. I'm going to send. And it's like, here he goes. I'll take this long journey from Rome, clear across the, the Italian peninsula, across the Aegean Sea, across the continent, there, Greece, whatever it takes, and I'll get to this church, probably not a big church that in Ephesus or in where Titus was, and I'll fill in while Titus and Timothy go back to be with Paul. What a great servant heart. But check this out. This is where I want us to look this morning, too, in Ephesians. So we were there a moment ago, but let's go back to Ephesians Chapter 6, verse 21. (laughs) So Paul's in prison. He's written this letter. Now, let me tell you about the letter to the church at Ephesus. The letter to the church at Ephesus is really, now listen, it's really a letter to all the churches in Asia Minor. It says the church at Ephesus because in one of the original manuscripts, they'd filled in Ephesus because that was the church at Ephesus. But there have been other manuscripts found with nothing there, just to the churches almost like it's blank, like it's a template, and it could be filled in to any. Paul's writing this letter, and and many of the other letters, like the church, the Colossian and the Philippian letter, those are specific letters with specific people in those churches mentioned. But when you read the book of Ephesus in, in the New Testament, there's nothing specific about the Ephesian church. It's a letter to all the churches in the region, all right? So it's a letter, but this is where this is where Tychius is from. He's from this area uh, near Ephesus, and so in this book of Ephesians, Paul concludes this final greeting, verse twenty-one. So that I bet you've never heard a whole sermon on Tychius, have you? All right, I've never preached one either. I may not be doing it now. I don't know. So chapter chapter six, verse twenty-one. So that you may know how I am and what I'm doing. I love the fact that Paul even though he's so far away and so disconnected, he loves this church, these churches in Asia Minor, and he, he wants to stay connected with them. And so I'm going to send Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, and he's going to tell you everything. And I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Here's what happened. Paul writes this letter to the church at Colossia that we've been reading. That's a specific letter for a specific church dealing with specific problems. And then he writes another general letter to all the churches in Asia Minor, which is the book of Ephesians. And after spending all this time under the leadership and the influence of the Holy Spirit, he rolls these letters up and he hands them to who? Tychius. And Tychius goes all the way across the Italian peninsula, takes a ship probably across the Aegean Sea, all the way across Asia Minor, long and arduous journey up into the mountains where Ephesus is, and he pulls out these parchments that Paul has written. And if you and I, and we have, 
if we've been blessed, unbelievably blessed, by the reading of the book of Colossians or the reading of the book of Ephesians. It was the Holy Spirit who created those books. It was the Holy Spirit who divinely brought them to you today. But he used a man named Tychius to get them there. Did you ever think about that? That's who got them there. That's how we've been able to stand here for several months and go verse by verse through this glorious book of the Bible that reveals so much about the sovereignty of God and the joy of Christian salvation and the beauty of Christ and the mystery that has been described to us in the atonement and all that we should be together as the church, all because this faithful man named Tychius left his home and followed Paul on these long, hard journeys and spent who knows how many nights under difficult circumstances, never knowing anybody would ever know his name. But here we are 2,000 years later. Because of his faithfulness, God used him to not only minister to Paul and strengthen Paul and minister to the churches and fill in for Titus and fill in for Timothy, but here to literally carry these precious letters that long distance to those churches, and we still have them today. So you can't tell me that we get to verse the end of the chapter of Colossians that we can just skip over those people's names that it doesn't really matter. Some time ago I read these words. They're not mine, but they are so good. What do we know about Tychius? We know he was a faithful minister. That's what Paul calls him. He was faithful in that. He stuck with it day in and day out. He was a fellow servant of the Lord. As I said, he was a bondservant. He and Paul were equal before the Lord in that regard. But we can learn some things from it. Small things done for Christ are great. Just bringing some food to Paul, just helping get his coat there, just being there to comfort him and to talk with him and to encourage him and to pray alongside him. And then just being a courier. He didn't write the letter, he didn't plant the church. He just carried that letter. But how important is that work? And it's the adversary who wants you to believe that your your work doesn't matter. You're not all that important. What you do does, you got to look at the big names in Christian life, the big names in the church. They're the ones that make all the difference. No, God uses tons of men and women just like Tychius. Small things done for Christ are great. And then the sacredness of even what we would call secular work. Did you have to have any kind of real seminary training to carry a letter from one place to another, to bring some fresh water to Paul, to make sure he had clean linens and clean coats and clean clothes? Did you have? That's all secular work. If we want to sort of divide it that way, you're not you're not you're not leading the church. You're not taking care of the church ordinances of baptism and Lord's Supper. That's but the, but 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 God uses that effort and that work in such a glorious way. I mean, we, we talk about that all the time. And then how about this? Fleeting things done for Christ have eternal significance. I mean, things you think of today that won't matter, I say this all the time, they will matter in ways you can't imagine. Every time you pray, every time you seek God's face, every time you serve in the church, every time you serve in the nursery, every time you lead in the worship, every time you, listen, every time you Every time you lovingly desire to glorify God by giving of your tithes and your offerings, every time you do that, that has eternal significance. 
And when you get to heaven and you see the whole history of Christ and the whole history of redemption, you will see that you serving in the nursery that morning, you giving your tithes and your offerings, whatever it is you, look, to some degree, I don't want to make it too easy on you, but to some degree, just making the commitment to be here in gathered worship encourages others who are here in gathered worship. Just getting up and getting your clothes on and coming to church when you could go somewhere else and you get here, other people look around and go, oh, look, there are other people here. That encourages your brothers and sisters in Christ. And in all eternity, these things that we see as menial and not really important and sort of transient, we're going to see how God uses those for his glory and his purpose, just like he did here with Tychius. Fleeting things done for Christ are eternal. And then the writer says this that I saw. And again, if I knew who it was, I'd give him credit. How astonished Tychius would have been if anybody had told him that those two letters of script would outlast all the pomp of the city of Rome because written in them would be known because what was written in them would be known to the end of the world and then for all eternity. Imagine Tychius. He's just this, just this foreigner in a big city of Rome. All the power, all the glory. This is AD 62. This is almost at the apex of Roman power. The Colosseum, the Forum. I mean, it's unbelievable. This powerful city. And here's Paul locked up in a Roman jail. You know, no real money, no, doesn't own anything. Here's Tychius and some other of his friends. They're just loving him and serving him and praying with him and encouraging him and, and going and doing some ministry that Paul sends them to. And then they come back and here Paul says, take these parchment, these letters that I've written. And really, I don't think Tychius understood that these letters would become part of the canon of what we have as the New Testament. He just saw them as letters to these churches in Asia. And since he was from there, he obviously going to go take them because he could tell people exactly what was going on in Paul's life and, you know, give, some, give some, some encouragement to them. So as he tucks those parchments wherever he put them in his coat, maybe wrap them up in something to try to keep them dry from the long journey, and as he leaves that beautiful and glorious city, He had no way of knowing that long after the glory of that city had passed, long after the forum had crumbled and the Colosseum was in ruins and Rome was just a distant memory, these little parchments that he's carrying would still be transforming the lives of men and women all around the globe. Isn't that amazing? Small things done for Christ are absolutely never small. The reward given is not the outward deed, but to the motive which settles its value. All work done from the same motive is alike in reward, however different in form. Paul was in the front. Tychius was literally in the rear. (laughs) And they all share in the work. Took them all. As you are part of this congregation, what you do matters. 
Making commitment to come to gathered worship matters. Making commitment to give of your resources to the kingdom so the gospel can be made known, so that hurts can be healed, so that people can be ministered to matters. Serving with the children, serving with the youth, uh, serving in any way you can matters because you are a fellow servant of the Apostle Paul and you are a bondservant of Jesus Christ and only eternity is going to really determine how impactful God used what seems like a very normal thing that anyone could do, but God chose you to do it for this point and for this time. And you and I can take great joy in knowing that there's nothing wasted. Not a bit of our labor is wasted. Paul also says not to grow weary in the work because none of it is wasted. None of it is vain. And I believe that with all of my heart. So I would hope that as we looked at this text today, it would remind us that we are all part of this wonderful, glorious team that is serving to to make the gospel known, to make Jesus known. And we have different parts to play, and we should embrace those parts and celebrate those parts and realize no matter what our job is, no matter our secular job or the job in the church, if we do it, as Paul said earlier in 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 this book, as unto the Lord, we will do it for his glory. At the end of the day, The only one that really matters isn't Paul, it isn't Tychius, it isn't Luke, it isn't James, it isn't John. The only one that really matters is Jesus Christ. And that's why all of these men and women in the New Testament can be so equal and so happy because they know they in themselves couldn't change a single life. No matter how great Paul could teach or how great he could write or what a great leader of men he was, he couldn't buy anybody, not even himself, five minutes outside of hell. That they were all completely reliant upon Jesus Christ. And it was their reliance upon Christ and his suffering and his death and his burial and his resurrection and their ultimate absolute certainty and hope of the gospel and the hope of future glory that bound them all together through all the trials and all the difficulties and all the challenges. And they found this kind of sweet and joyful fellowship because their hearts were united in Christ Jesus. And when a church begins to fracture and relationships begin to pull apart, it's because we're not united in our love of Christ. We're focused on ourselves. We're more like Martha than we're like Mary. We care more about what people think about us. And I love the fact that when you look at Tychius, it never appears he ever tries to compete with Paul or with Timothy or with Titus or with anybody. He's comfortable being Tychius because he has been redeemed. And he's been born again, and he's been regenerate, and he understands who Jesus is, and that's enough for him. His fullness is found in Christ, not in his position in life. And dear saint, if you can find your fullness in Jesus Christ, you'll be a better husband because you won't be looking to your wife to make you feel better about yourself. You'll be a better wife because you won't be looking to your husband to do that. You'll be a better employer, a better employee, a better person in general because you won't be looking for the outside affirmation of praise of men, which comes and goes, you have to compete for. But you'll say, like the apostle John did, I'm the beloved disciple. (laughs) He loves me. I can't ever get over that. This morning, if you don't know that for sure, if you've never met Christ as your Savior, if you've never come to the point where you've had your eyes opened and realized your sinfulness, your need of a Savior, I pray this would be the day you would do that, that you would realize that you have no hope outside of Christ. 
and he can take any sermon, no matter how poorly preached, and he can still open your eyes, and he can reveal the truth to him, to you. And I pray he does that today. And if he does, you are welcome. You are wonderfully in a place where people love you and want to share the gospel with you, and you can leave this place this morning knowing that you have eternal life. The Scripture says these things are written so that you can know you have eternal life. You don't have to hope or wish. You can know it this morning. If you don't know it, get that settled. But most of us in this room do know it. Most of us in this room are believers in Christ. And we need to learn this morning this wonderful lesson from our brother Tychius. To do the small things well. To serve wherever we're asked to serve. And only eternity will reveal the full impact of the gift we gave this morning, of the hour we served in the children's ministry, of our just our commitment to say, you know what, we're just going to get up as family. We're going to go to church today. And someone may look across there and go, look, they're here. You know, I'm not alone in this. Just that encouragement to be a faithful servant.